Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on June 13th, 2021, the third Sunday of Pentecost. Bible study has commenced, our Wednesday Bible study at 5.30. We're moving through Genesis. Uh, we're actually starting Genesis. And you are all invited. We do have a virtual option for those of you who are going to be away or out of town and would like to join through that platform. I will send the contact information on that um, this afternoon as after I send out the worship links. But please come and uh, enjoy it. It's, like, it's a good critical text study that Keith Thompson is leading for us, really going in, in depth on the Bible and generating lots of conversation as we go over scriptures that perhaps we've been familiar with before, but this time we can kind of really uh, drill down on them and, and see what the word has to say to us at this present moment. That is all that I have for announcements right now, but Marilyn also has an announcement for this today. Since I don't have any other special music today, I was hoping with Flag Day coming tomorrow, uh, I might have our congregational choir to come up and sing My Country Tis of Thee on 599 in our hymnal. And that will come after, or before the reading of the scriptures. So if you feel inclined to sing with a group, come up and we'll do that song, 599. Thank you, Marilyn. Actually, I do have another uh, announcement. Next week is our Father's Day cookout thing. Is that next week? And it will begin at 10? 10 till? Wednesday. All right. And also, next Sunday, we'll be receiving new members, and we will have some baptisms. So we'll see you there. And Sherry, you will not have to stand alone. So exactly. <laughs> She's like, better be some other people there. So I'm excited about that. So come next week for the, the gathering and, and uh, bring ice water, because it seems like it's going to continue to be hot. But you know the routine, because if you've made it through the past few weeks uh, and you're still here, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> OK. Let us uh, receive our morning's prelude.
us join together in our invocation. God be with you. Let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please rise as you are able in our opening hymn number 13. responsive reading is Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob defend you. Remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. We will shout for joy at your victory and triumph in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Some put their trust in chariots and some in horses, and we will call upon the name of the Lord our God, and they will collapse and fall down, but we will arise and stand upright.
come forward to sing the Round of America, you can do so. The rest of you can be seated. <laughs> well, that's what it is, not America. <laughs> I knew it was one of those songs.
The first lesson this morning from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. Then Samuel said to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve for Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinanab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The epistle lesson is from 2 Corinthians. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending our, ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. 
even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. I invite you to rise for the gospel. Gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said that the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would grow and sprout. He does not know how. The earth produces itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain of the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes out with his sickle because the harvest has come. God also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, thank you for this day that you have given us and for the ability to be present with you and fellow believers. May you impart your, your mercies to us as we meditate upon your word and the contents of today's service that every element and every bit might not be lost on us, but evoke some connection that we have to you, a reminder that you are with us, guiding us, blessing us. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing on with our semi-continuous reading in Samuel, we race ahead several chapters. Last week we had the instance in which Saul, being confronted by the people of Israel, who insisted that they wanted a king. They wanted a king because they had said to themselves that, Samuel, you have grown old, your sons do not follow in your ways, and we want a king, other nations have kings. We want a king that can fight our battles for us, that can go out ahead of us, we want to be modernized. Samuel took it personally. He considered it a rejection of him and of all the work that he had done for them being their prophet and being their guide. So he went to consult with God in prayer, and God says, first of all, Samuel, it has nothing to do with you. It's entirely about me. They have rejected me from being king over them. I'm the one that brought them out of bondage, their previous generations. I'm the one that led them through the exodus. I'm the one that have landed them down in this place that I provided for them and said that this would be their homeland. They have rejected me. But if they want a king, I will hear their cries and I will usher up a king which you will go and anoint and the people will have their king. But keep in mind that this king will require a great deal of their resources, their time, and their energy. And if they still at the end of reading this litany of a king's demands, if they still want a king, I know just the person for the job. So Samuel, feeling a bit bolstered by the fact that 
God's not going to make it easy for them. God will send them a king. After all, they requested a king, and God's desire to serve the people is consistent as it was from the time when they were crying out in Egypt. But Samuel reads this litany of the thing that a king would require from the people, the best of everything, your tradesmen, your men and women and your sons and daughters and your household servants and your livestock. Basically, anything that you have, the king can requisition that in order to fashion this kingdom that, that you want. And people were not deterred. They heard this list, and even though Samuel tacked on the end of it, and on that day when this king becomes so heavy-handed and requires everything from you that you can't even get a break, you will cry out to God, and God on that day will not hear you. Samuel put that on there as a little extra dig. They said, whatever, Samuel, we want a king. So God had appointed Saul to be the first king of Israel. And the scriptures tell us that Saul was a tall individual, and he came from the right tribe, and he was impressive. I mean, he he looked the part, right? He just looked the part. But now we've moved from Samuel 8, There's a number of chapters that we didn't hear, but the lectionary races us head to 1 Samuel 15, where we settle down and we realize that God has removed his love and his affirmation from Saul. Saul Saul got weird. He got weird. He got jealous. He got brooding. He was full of his own ego. He, He was drunk with power. And... And it says right here in this passage, the Lord was sorry. This is uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 35. Samuel did not see Saul again to the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. I believe the last time that we saw this level of grief from God was in Genesis chapter 6 when the people that God had created, their only desire and their only thoughts were evil continuously. And it says God was sorry that he had ever made humankind. Just, you know, poor decision, rash decision. Shouldn't have bothered with them. But, of course, enter Noah into that when we were doing our exploration on the church covenants. And Noah helped God to sort of rethink, like, not all of creation is, is completely discardable. But Saul was a disappointment. Saul was not the people's champion, was not the king who was going to endear them closer to God and also be the sort of valiant political leader that they, that they had hoped. Saul was all about Saul. And Samuel was upset about this because he had poured so much energy into trying to mentor and, and guide Saul into the ways of being the first king. I mean, when, you, when, when you do a first, when you are the first of something, you feel like there's all eyes are upon you. And you feel like I've really got to make a good showing here because I am the first one to inhabit this new position or the first individual to be raised up to whatever it is. And so you figure that there's going to be, that you're kicking the door open, you know, the pioneer spirit, kicking the door open for anyone else who would, who would follow after you, who looks like you. 
And so Saul had this tremendous opportunity to really create the kingdom in a way that was going to be a good start, and it didn't happen. So Samuel is feeling that his time and energy were wasted. God reaches out to Samuel and says, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've, that's, that's done. I've rejected him. I'm on to something new, and here's what I need from you. I, 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 need, I need your work. I need your effort. I need you to go down to, to, to Ramah, and I need you to meet with Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because he's got a number of sons, and of one of them I have already selected my next king. Well, now Samuel knows that Saul is jealous and brooding and suspicious and paranoid, and he's like, Lord, if I go down there, Saul is going to send his soldiers and he's going to dispatch me. I, w I won't even be able to get without of the city limits. I it's just not going to happen. God's like, here's what you're going to do. I got a ruse all concocted for you. You will take a heifer and you will go down to this area and you will sacrifice. So that way, if Saul has any questions like, Samuel, what are you doing? Samuel's like, I'm going down to sacrifice to the Lord. Saul can't begrudge him that. Samuel's a holy man. This is what he does. He gives offerings to God. So Saul wouldn't be suspicious about this. But God says, while you're down there sacrificing, I want you to invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And there you will be able to review the lads as they come before you. And I will tell you which one I have set my seal upon. So this is wonderful. So Samuel has a cover. And he heads on down, and he's feeling confident. So he goes down to sacrifice, and he's in Bethlehem, and he invites Jesse. And Jesse's like, wow, to what is this honor that, that the, the great prophet Samuel should, should summon me and, and my sons? Samuel pulls him aside and says, well, the Lord has set his seal upon your household. And of one of your sons will become the next king. So... In the passage we have here that Jesse summons his sons to, to pass before. And let's just listen to this again. When they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks in on the heart. So as Jesse's calling his sons, Samuel is looking at them, and he's, he's looking with eyes like when he first saw Saul. Tall, strong, fit, seemingly looking the part. Like, he looks like he could be a king. You put him in some armor, you give him a sword, you give him a shield. That'll do. So he's looking at the sons of Jesse, and he's, each one's more impressive than the next. And he's like, well, surely this, is, this has got to be the guy. All six of the elder sons pass before him, and he turns to Jesse and he says, is this all you got? Because the Lord's rejected all of them. Jesse's like, well, I have the youngest, but he's, he's so insignificant. I just let him tend the flock. He's still, out, he's still out in the fields tending the sheep. Now, don't let this notion get lost on us. The fact that David was a shepherd shows you God's line of thinking. What's the, next, what's the requirement for that next king of Israel? Not to have a, 
vainglorious, war-driven mentality. To have the heart of a shepherd. To understand what it means to have the least of these in your care and to be able to look after them with compassion and tenderness. So when Jesse says, well, I have the youngest, but he's out and he's, he's in the fields. Like I didn't, you know, you're Samuel. I'm not going to waste your time with this kid. Samuel says, send for him right now. Send for him. So he sends one of the other sons and, and David comes in. Right? With, this, with the smell of the field still on him. And when he comes in the presence of Samuel, the Lord says, rise and anoint him, for he is my chosen one. Now you've got to imagine that the brothers, how the brothers would respond to this, because each one of them realizes that Samuel's come down there and he means business. He's on the, he's on, he's on the Lord's business. And he is not leaving until the new king has been anointed. And so each one of them is like, okay, which, which one of us is going to be? It's because it's got to be one of us, right? And then when they find out that it's David, the one that they considered so insignificant that he wasn't even invited to the feast, he wasn't even, he wasn't, he wasn't even called away from his chores because the family considered, well, obviously it's not going to be him. So the entire family felt that David certainly wasn't going to meet with the approval of God because he hadn't met with their approval. They had already rejected him. They had already passed him and set him aside. So Samuel's like, listen, is this all of your sons? Jesse's like, well, no, there's one more. He's like, well, I got to see him. I have to see him because these six, impressive as they are to my eyes, they're not doing it for God. God's just not feeling this. So what is it about David? Because it's obviously not his looks and his appearance, although it does say that he was ruddy and handsome with, with nice, beautiful eyes. What is it about David that causes God to remove his imprint from Saul and to lay it upon David? What we come to learn about David later on is that, first of all, he's got a shepherding spirit. He understands. He puts himself at great risk to care for the sheep. And that is what, that's, that's what God wants, emblematic as a king. He wants the king to remember that you are nothing without your flock. You can be a leader. You can be in your wonderful cedar palace all by yourself. But if you do not have the people that you are called to care for also reciprocating that care for you, you have nothing. You have no kingdom. It is a give and take. So first of all, David has a shepherd's and a compassionate heart. Second of all, David understands where his authority comes from. Saul always thought it was about him. God picks me. Great, that's good because, you know, obviously I'm impressive. David realizes and has always realized that his strength comes from God. That it was God who plucked him out of an obscure little field where he was distending to his his father's flock. It wasn't even his own flock. It was his father's. And so God had pulled and raised him up. David never forgot that. And as a result of that, David realized that as easily as God could raise him up, God could discard him as well. It happened to his predecessor, Saul. So David had that firmly planted in his mind. The takeaway of this exchange, though, is that passage that comes to us when, 
right here, chapter 16, verse 7, where God tells Samuel, don't look at him like mortals look at one another. And unfortunately, we have the disadvantage of not knowing a person's interior until you sit down to converse with them, until you break bread with them, until you hear their story. We go through life and we pass through our communities and all we get is that external appearance. We get that first initial reaction. We get the person as they are addressed, as they are conducting themselves in the public sphere, and that becomes our first take as to whether or not we want to go any further. And if they are carrying on in a sort of cantankerous fashion, loud and sort of obnoxious and boisterous, and, and we're like, oh, look at that person carrying on like that. I, I, can't, I can't be associating with a person like that. They're too loud. They're, 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 just, they're too loud. They're too officious. They're, they're offensive. Or if they have bummy clothes on, right? And, and on these hot days, I'm telling you, none of us are smelling as good as we'd like to be. So on these hot days, we're like, whew, don't come too close, right? You know, we're back to the six-foot distancing, maybe a little bit more. So you're like, well, they're a little unpresentable. Can we let Bo in? Myron, thank you. He's at the door. It's the benefit of being able to sit here. I just watch traffic. You think I'm preaching. Actually, I'm just dazing. I'm like, ooh, slug bug. Uh, <laughs> So we look at individuals on the outward appearance, same thing that Samuel was doing. And so as Samuel was getting all enraptured as to the sort of strong, capable-looking sons of Jesse, God's like, hold on, I'm looking at the interior. I'm looking at the interior, and that is from now on how we are to conduct ourselves. Jesus was big at looking on the interior as well and encouraged his disciples to do that which I think is why his ministry was so comprehensive, because he didn't allow himself to sort of drill down in any one particular area. But he allowed his ministry to carry him to the neighboring towns and villages, places where other individuals had already surmised, the work of God can't be done here. You can't go and serve those people. But Jesus was always looking on the interior, and he's encouraging us as his followers to look on the interior. And the only way that we can do that is to allow ourselves to be in community with individuals who may smack us at first as unsightly, a little bit obscure, a little unhinged. But then if we can manage to get over the initial reaction, if we can allow ourselves to get over the initial impressions and actually sit down and listen to their narrative, we may not find that much daylight between their position and our own. And that is, that is a lesson that we need to repeat that cycle as often as necessary. Because now we are wearing our, our opinions on our sleeve. Now we know what everyone thinks according to what yard signage they still have up, what flags and banners they are flying what they are posting openly on their, on their social feeds. I, I don't think it's any secret as to where people are standing on this or that issue. So when we look at the outward appearance, when we look at the information that people are conveying, it makes it very easy for us to say, I will not deal <laughs> with this person. Right, because I, I, I've been, re unfortunately, 
I've been trying to get them out of my feed. I don't know why they keep going in my feed. I, I see what they're putting. I, I'm not with that. So I'm just not going to deal with them. And if Samuel had allowed himself to be caught up in the whole impression game, he would have never discovered what God was trying to teach him, and he would have never been able to anoint David with oil. If we allow ourselves to stop at our initial impression about whatever given offense the people around us have elicited in us, if we let it stop there, we will never interact. We will never build the kinds of houses of faith that we are still called to build. We'll never fashion the kind of community that we want to live in because we would have already hit our limit and said, go no further. I don't like what I see. I don't like what I'm hearing. And I'm going to leave it at that. I will go and retire from society, sequester myself off, lock myself up in the home, surround myself with books that suit my liking. We are all on the cusp of giving up. We are. But what is it that keeps us coming back? Maybe because we realize that what we are seeing is not the entirety of a person, does not represent everything that they stand for, everything that they believe in. Maybe we keep coming back because we realize that there's more to the story because there's more to our story. We don't want to be dismissed because it was laundry day and we didn't have anything other than to put on. It was that silly t-shirt that we had 100 years ago. It's got some holes in it and some old tired shorts, old tenny runners, right? And we're like, I'm sorry, it's laundry day. I mean, I know I, I, I could usually dress and present myself better, but this is what I've got. Will you still have me? And when I hear this passage read, and I think about this exchange because Samuel got burned. First of all, he had to deal with Israel saying, you're old, your sons aren't that great, we want a king. So first of all, he had to wrestle with that. Then, then he goes, and he works on God's behalf, and he gets Saul, who looks the part. Saul turns out to be a jerk, all about himself, all ego and paranoia. So now he comes down, and he's looking at all of these sons, and he's like, well, which one of you is going to be my next problem? So Samuel right now is on the cusp of possibly going, I, I, I believe and I trust in God's leadership, and I'm going to follow God, but I am weary. I am tired. We can relate with that. We come to church because we still realize that there is some shred of sanity when we allow ourselves to intersect with the word of God and the trappings of worship. So we realize that in this place is the possibility of renewal, but we are weary because we wonder, will what happens on Sunday, will what happened in my devotion carry me through the course of who knows what kind of week I'm going to have? I mean, for some of us right now, this excessive heat is enough to cause us to go out of our heads. All the things we would like to do, but we can't do because the weather keeps getting in the way. It's scrambling our minds and killing our gardens. So we ask ourselves, why do we return to God? Because God says, as Paul Harvey says, and now for the rest of the story, right? Yeah, I dated myself. I used to love some Paul Harvey. And 
So long as we can continue to keep our minds open for the rest of the story, we have a chance at fashioning that, that community that God knows we can and should have. If we detach ourselves from one another on the basis of what we see and what we hear, and we never plunge the depths of that, and we never get behind the scenes, then bit by bit, everything that's important to us, everything that holds true for us, everything that, that gives us and our lives hope and meaning will just evaporate. And it will just be us. Isolated in our own bubbles of thoughts and opinions with no desire and no drive to want to get to know anyone else or to hear from anyone else because we can't trust what they're going to say to us. We can't trust if they're going to try to hurt us. We can't trust if they're going to try to malign us. So God is asking us, do not look as mortals look. And we can't help it because we are mortals. But if we incline our understanding towards God, God will open up those back channels and will show us that there's not this stored up conflict that we think there is. There's not this great divide between us that we think there is. That what there are are individuals who are looking to be heard and understand and loved and appreciated. That is one thing that I have discovered through my 25 years of ministry is that people want to be heard, they want to be understood, they want to be respected and loved. That has been consistent throughout my whole experience, not only as a minister, but just as a human being. There's nothing complicated about that. People say, can't you just meet me where I'm at? Yes. We can, but do we have the attitude and the mindset to want to do that, to want to meet people where they're at, instead of trying to con contort them to our image of who they should be? Think on these words. Think on what God was inviting Samuel into, a new way of perceiving the world around him not looking as he traditionally would do, not behaving as he traditionally would, but realizing that the great discoveries are in the things that are still obscured from us. But in the asking, in the asking, are these all your sons? No, I have one more. Well, bring him, because God's about to do something here and I wanna see it done. So in your conversations as you go forward, and in your conversations with those who are consistently difficult for you, not conversation with the easy people in your life, conversation with the difficult people in your lives, conversations on the people who will debate you, in your conversations with them, ask the questions that you seek to learn. Don't wave the dismissive hand. Don't say, I have to go. I have to terminate this call. Don't run away from this opportunity for God to say, I want to make a connection here. I want the two of these individuals no longer to be at odds. I want them to realize that they have the same drive, the same desires. I want them to see that there is common ground. We don't believe there's common ground because apparently all the exhibit A's through exhibit Z's say we don't have common ground anymore. I reject that. I do believe we have common ground. As human beings, we have very much common ground. We know we've got limited days on earth and someday, we won't be on earth anymore. That should change the way we think and the way we behave. 
Externals are deceptive. But we got so caught up in externals, so caught up in reading, judging books by covers, we never bothered to read them at all. So it's time for us to start reading one another, asking questions, having conversations, listening, listening. We don't always have to have an opinion. You know, it's okay not to have an opinion. It's okay for people not to have to hear your opinion. <laughs> but just to be in the presence of someone and have you tell them how they are doing today. No political strings attached. Amen. Let us lift our voices together in our response of hymn 273. ourselves before you this morning, God, with the hopes that you will ease our conscience, for we have been burdened by responsibilities we've placed upon ourselves. This is not your doing. These are just choices that we have made to burden ourselves with things that seem to be important and pressing at the time. And some of the things that we are pursuing are indeed important, right? maintenance of, of health, uh, care of relationships, managing our properties and our families. These are obviously responsibilities that sort of give us pleasure and requirement. But then there's this other thing that we dabble in, which is the maintenance of, shall we say, our, 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 
our brand, our social and, and political brand, and we put great energy and time into maintaining this or that Twitter war or whatever it is that we're, we're trying to do to establish uh, you know, our, our um, position in the, in the greater sphere. You know, a lot of that's um, just entertainment. And entertainment has its place. We've got individuals who were riding and dying on these opinions and putting a lot of things on hold in order to really drill down on their perspective of how the world should be. We've got a problem with externals. It's just a fact, it's, just, it's how we're wired. But you call us to deeper and more meaningful paths. So in the collective prayers of today, I would ask that you would lay the spirit down upon us that we would perhaps pull away from what we think we need to prove to more on what you would have us to learn. That the work of building community, it is our task. And we can build up community by meeting others where they're at, listening, asking questions, learning. Or we can break down community by rejecting, refusing to listen, insisting on our own way and aligning ourselves with those who, who feel of like mind. It is our responsibility to build communities where we can still hear one another, we can still be in partnership, and we can still safely meet in our houses of worship and still believe and trust and follow you and your son. So help us with that. Right, slow us down as we begin to make an assessment, as we begin to sort of render an opinion which could very well lead to a polarizing outcome. Slow us down, help us to hear the thoughts as we formulate them. Help us to think ahead a few steps as to what will happen if I say this thing? Does it need to be said? Does anyone need to hear this? Will it benefit and build the kind of community that I know that your son would have us to, to build? Is it of any value at all or is it just this opinion that I'm holding because it makes me feel good at this present moment? We need to dig deeper into what we're pushing. We need to test it to see it if it is of you. And then just give us the courage that if it doesn't really reflect the kind of world that we feel that you were calling us to, to promote, then give us the strength to let it recede if not outright discard, because we have a trouble discarding things. 
but now at this time, with all the progress that we have made in just being a vibrant and diverse society, now all of a sudden we got problems with that. So help us to think about why it's a problem now. Why, why, you know, maybe it's always been a problem for us. And we just can't stand what's happening. But we need to think about that. Because Jesus called together a really interesting group of disciples. Those guys had nothing in common. Different walks of life, different vocations. He called them together and made them a family. And then on top of that, he dragged them to neighboring towns and villages where people didn't even observe the same faith. And he says, yeah, they're part of the family too. Deal with it. And they had to deal with it. So lay your blessing upon those who are sick and suffering, body, mind, and spirit. Grant them your peace and tranquility. Allow them once again that you are with them. No matter what the diagnosis and prognosis is, you are with them. And you will carry them. Be with those of us across the, the country languishing in this heat. Heat stroke and heat-related illnesses. This is real stuff. You don't have to have experienced it to know that extreme dehydration and stroke, this is overheating, is, is bad news. For those of us who have the means and the resources to cool our houses, let's, this is not time to penny pinch, okay? If you got the AC, kick it up, count it as a blessing. Uh, we'll deal with the bills later. <laughs> but but don't, don't get stingy. Don't sting yourself right now and say, I'm not falling for that. I'm going to sit here in this 95-degree house. You're not fooling anybody, okay? So... Treat yourself well, stay hydrated, be sensible. Your body is your temple. Take care of it. God's in there. God wants to be cool too. Anyway, Lord, receive the prayers of the people that they set before you today and let, let your strength and guidance be with us in Jesus' name. giving you thanks, God, for receiving the prayers of your people. Receive them. Bless each and every one of us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever.
loves us, guides, and reassures us. Let us respond as our ushers come forward. Let us join together in our covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Let me most merciful God, we are every day presented with challenges, some a bit more than we expected, but you carry us through. You give us the composure, you give us the wisdom, you give us the ability in those moments to ask for help. When we fail, when we miss the mark, when we slander another because of their perceived incompetence, forgive us. Help us to forgive ourselves and those around us. By this meal, we experience your renewal. The fact that you do not hold these sins against us, but you call us in to absolution. You call us into a new community. You allow us to begin again. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, offered it to them and says, 
This is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. Every Sunday, I think of Mary's invitation, changing up communion. You're going to get your wish here pretty soon. <laughs> he then presented them with a cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. His blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. A prayer of thanksgiving. Loving and most merciful God, thank you. Thank you for the times when you have kept us from saying those hurtful remarks, whether in person or online. Thank us for the times when you have calmed our temper and we didn't lose it. Thank you for those times when, we, when you've just kind of saved us from our own poor decisions and you delivered us. For the mistakes that still <laughs> slipped through the cracks and happened, thank you for not remembering them and for allowing us once again to feast upon the body and the blood and the spirit of your son. In him, we find our true selves. Amen. Let us join together in our closing hymn, number 447.
Beloved and most merciful God, behold your people. Ask now that the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace.